The Incomparable. Number 129. February 2013. Podcasting. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Podcast Incomparable. It's continuing mission to explore strange new books, to seek out new films and new television shows, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hi, everybody. It is time for another edition of The Incomparable. And as you might guess, we're here to talk about the original Star Trek. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Did you do, Were you doing Voyager instead, Steve? I'm in the wrong room, Damn! apparently. Uh, I was is, here for, uh, for the episode one. <laughs> this, is a, this is a fascinating uh, collection we've got because I think we've got some people who uh, take Star Trek back to their uh, earliest days and then other people who've come to it uh, and spent a lot of time with it more recently. For me, it's funny. Um, I can't. I, I'm always amazed when people like Dan Morin and John Syracuse talk about how they can't really remember life before Star Wars. And as somebody who was born in 1970, um, which meant that when I started watching television as a child was just when Star Trek, the original series, uh, was becoming incredibly popular in syndication. It was on every day. Yes, that was life before Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. It was on every day at five o'clock on Channel Two from san francisco and i watched it to the point where i can't remember life without star trek and i can't actually can't remember life before i knew basically every star trek episode by heart i had been watching them since i was a little kid i cannot remember uh what what it was like before so i i guess through that i understand what they're what they mean about star wars star trek for me it's very hard for me to even uh consider it like a regular tv show because it it's i feel like it's in my programming as a human being because i watched it from such a young age and so many times because there were only 79 episodes right and they just kept running them over and over and so i would watch them again and again until i literally episodes i haven't seen for a decade uh captain kirk begins to speak and i'm like i know everything he's gonna say word for word enunciation for enunciation because i had seen them so many times anyway this is not a monologue although i could be because i could do my shatner monologue Right here, but I won't, because I'm joined by my fellow Star Trek fan of longstanding, Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello, Jason. Uh, yeah, much like you, I can't even remember a time when I did not love Star Trek. I don't know yeah. when I started watching Star Trek. I it's it's like I was out of my mother's womb and into the hands of Yeoman Rand. <laughs> immediately, <laughs> immediately. You, <laughs> you gave the Vulcan salute and were placed in uh, in front of the TV immediately. Exactly. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Quite Get right. that kid some Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. Stat. Uh, Tony Sindelar is also here. Hi, Tony. Hi, Jason. Are you a longtime Star Trek person or a recent uh, original Star Trek visitor? I am a, a longtime other Star Trek fan. Ah, see. Um, and a, a recent kind of, you know, I, I also can't really remember not being aware of Star Trek, the original series, but I went back and more obsessively uh, recently tried to rewatch all of it. So, So a little of each. Good to have you here. And Steve Lutz, who, as we detailed on a previous podcast, recently was started watching the original Star Trek with his uh, his daughter, right? I did, and she did, and we're still going, as a matter of fact. We're midway through season three. That's, that's well, it's hard times in season three, but... <laughs> yeah. I, you know what, it's, you say that, but we'll probably get to this later, but 
to be honest, season three, to my mind, is not that much worse than the first two. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I, I was making a list before the show of, of favorites and not favorites. I was scrolling through the Wikipedia page of a list of Star Trek episodes and making notes. And when I hit season three, I just moved the cursor to the worst column because <laughs> yeah. I knew I wasn't going to be getting any more bests, but I would be getting some worse. Well, they, they seem to have unleashed Shatner a bit in mm. season three. And I think maybe that's where the problem comes in. But so depending on how much you enjoy seeing uh, Shatner vamp, yeah, that's, that's going to greatly affect your enjoyment of season three. There was more of him to unleash in season three too. There was, well, you know, <laughs> he goes up and down. He, he does his, his ups he does. and downs. There, there are stories about that. But I too uh, remember Star Trek from my earliest days in my case, on I believe KTLA Channel Five uh-huh. in uh, the Los Angeles, the Greater Los Angeles area, the Inland Empire, as it were, uh, not to be confused with the Kling, the Klingon Empire. Yeah, right, different empire entirely. No, it's, it's not the Klingons. It's uh, it's the Inlands. There is no honor in living in Riverside. And uh, I remember sort of vaguely enjoying it. That was back when it actually meant something. That shows only came on, you know, occasionally. You couldn't just watch any given show from the history of man right uh on on instant recall you actually had to you know wait around for the show to come on i think it was on at an inconvenient time in in los huh. angeles it was like right around dinner time oh yeah well it was right around dinner time uh watching it out of uh san francisco on channel two right uh, and i just i i would like microwave a hot dog and go watch star trek i mean literally it was just like <laughs> it didn't matter you could microwave a hot dog in a minute so you yeah. could be like in the commercial break go get a hot dog come back you're ready to go. Star Trek fans, as a rule, generally do a lot of hot dog microwaving. Hot dog microwaving, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the way to go. That's a, that's a season three episode, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, and the hot dog is hollow, and I shall it's just touch the Kirk microwave. fighting with the, oh. the replicator, trying to get it to produce a decent hot dog. My hot dog and coffee. This is my hot dog and coffee. <laughs> I always found the show entertaining, but it never really grabbed me. Uh, and... As I've mentioned on previous episodes uh, not long ago, uh, my daughter and I were sort of starting in on the early Twilight Zone episodes. And uh, just offhand, we had just done the uh, Wrath of Khan episode. It's a good one. You should go listen to it. Um, yeah. And uh, I thought to myself, well, why don't, why don't we see what she thinks of uh, Star Trek? Because this is City Alpha 5! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Is that what she said? <laughs> Uh, at any rate, yes. So we we jumped over and, and watched uh, the first episode of Star Trek. I think it was not necessarily the pilot of Star Trek because, of course, I knew which one was the official pilot and which one was not. I think it was the first aired regular ep, which I believe is the Man Trap. Man Trap, yeah. Not that great an episode, but... That actually is a very good episode. It was yeah. a good choice, I think, for a first episode, personally, because it has the, the creepy creature. Right. Well, that, I mean, that, you're right. It's it's well chosen, right? It's not one of my favorites at all, but it's it's... It's got the it's got that Twilight Zone kind of feel almost to it, right? right. Yes, exactly. And, and a lot of the early ones, I mean, there's some stuff written by Richard Matheson, for instance. And there are even a couple of plots that I think are virtually identical to some Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie X. And for some reason, it uh, it just caught on with my daughter, and she, she loved it. And uh, we've been watching it pretty much one a night with occasional breaks to build California missions. Uh, <laughs> ever fourth since. grade, Steve. Fourth grade. Fourth grade it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been watching with uh, with my kids, and I, I'm I'm impressed that they are interested. And this is this is a show from the the, the '60s, right? I mean, the pacing of shows back then was very different. And my wife and I, we were walking today, and I was talking about about doing this podcast and i said it's amazing that the kids 
uh, pay attention. But Star Trek is in that you know Hollywood um, you know action adventure TV series school, and so there's always stuff going on. And I was comparing it to like the '60s episodes of Doctor Who, which are like. I, like standing in a museum or something. I mean, it's like there, nothing <laughs> happens forever. And Star Trek, you know, there's usually a fist fight at some point fairly quickly and dramatic music. And so even kids raised the same in dramatic music. Well, that's true. They couldn't, you know, they, they, they just kept reusing it. Right. But, but uh, even kids of the modern era, I, you know, the old Star Trek, there's something about it that they, they they would be perfectly within their rights to say this is just 50 years old and is not you know i can't even watch this but you know it something about it they actually it's still pretty watchable which it's is the colorful it, shirts which, well yeah and the primary colors yes. bright colors and uh, some action right some action wacky right. characters and i think there's something to be said for the fact that it's not to, I mean, it hasn't entered the area of of jump cuts and and fast editing mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. It's it's kind of the right speed for a kid right. of that age who hasn't necessarily been ruined by music videos yet. So you can you can kind of follow the plot. It's not intimidating, even if it's an insane plot, and you think why why don't they do something? Yes, right. <laughs> even though it makes it actually works better as a nine year old because you aren't asking too many questions about the plots. You're just sort of accepting the things that are said. And you, you also don't have 40 years worth of science fiction tropes to fall back on to go, uh, mm-hmm. that's not really how time travel works. Well, I assume on. that's why it worked for me as a five-year-old watching it back right. in the day is that I, I, you know, some of the stuff just totally passed over my head. And I, I just, you know, the, the other stuff, the bright colors and the, you know, the adventure and excitement uh, was enough. It wor- worked worked well enough for me. And I, I guess that's that's uh true today i I just think it's kind of cool that 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 anything created 45 years ago on tv would be conceivably watchable by a kid today it's kind of amazing because you know it it, so much of the stuff from that era the just just the pacing stuff alone it would be enough to you know so much stuff from that era is just a snooze even to me because it's so slow compared to what we have now but star trek you know, I think again because it's it was intended as this action adventure show. They push it pretty hard in terms of you know there are fights and there's dramatic music and there's aliens and there's you know crazy stuff happening and it keeps it interesting. I do have to say that for me personally, as somebody who does not have the nostalgia factor, it is a little bit of a snooze sometimes. <laughs> <Huh>. Interesting. <laughs> what I, the nine year old school? I, I struggled it, through some of the episodes rewatching. Yeah, them. there are some long stretches of not a lot happening. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. There are bad. There are very bad episodes. This comes back to the the forty years worth of uh, intervening sci-fi, but there are a lot of things that the crew doesn't get that you know you catch that, but the nine-year-old catches you know twenty minutes before the crew figures it out. I was just re- uh, I'm rewatching the uh, episodes now. I'm in this first season uh, with my wife, who hasn't apparently seen these episodes, <gasps> uh, so oh. it's interesting to get her perspective on it. She is mostly interested in. How much wrist the uniforms show, which seems like a <laughs> wrist to focus on, but a lot of wrists showing. So I, I heard about those low cut uniform shirts. Those were the uh, those were quite controversial at the time. I was just watching the Deadly Years, and actually, some sometimes I watch the shirts too, just to see like how tied to Shatner's shirt and when does he wear the alternate sort of his fat shirt and all that. <laughs> well, he has a lot of shirts that Shatner <laughs> with like the first three episodes, he wears like eight different shirts. Yeah, but the, oh the in the Deadly Years, I'm funny when when Kirk becomes an old man, 
Um, they just give <laughs> they put some makeup on him, but they give him a big shirt. I love that. <laughs> it's just like he's so old. His shirt is is large now. Oh yeah, that's he's the one where they get old. Away. Right, 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 right. They get old, and he's got a big shirt. Oh no, <laughs> he's not qualified for command with a shirt that large. Are you kidding that me? That man a fitted shirt. We can't oh. see his wrists. No. Don't trust him. I do like how he has, you know, I always made fun of the fact that they made an extra shirt for Kirk, which is that weird, like, wraparound thing with yeah. the, the yeah. logo yes, sideways so on the side. Yeah. Of the, yeah. The, the command blouse, I believe, is what you're referring to. It's... Yeah, except in the next generation, they do that. They eventually do that with Picard, too. They give him, like, the leather jacket with the gray shirt underneath. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why do captains, I guess you're the captain, you get a captain's prerogative. You get a bonus yeah. uniform. Oh, it's like being the home gets. team. You get, you get to pick the jersey, I think. <laughs> That's right. You get the better clubhouse, and you uh, get I your own. I think this week is a this is a halter top week yeah. on board the Enterprise. <laughs> I'm just feeling halter this week. Unbelievable. And shirtless Fridays are also an important part <laughs> oh, of life aboard ship. Oh man! So in, in Galaxy <laughs> Quest, when Tim Allen loses his shirt, that's that laugh out loud moment. Because because in watching these episodes back, it's like why does he just he keeps why not having not his, shirt his shirt on. For no, um, and and when I'm watching with my wife, she's just like, "There we go again." <laughs> Why? Why? You gotta give the ladies what they want. Well, there are an awful lot of those recurring things, mm-hmm. like like the uh, the lack of the shirt, and uh, I think that's a feature. The ridic- the the variety of ridiculous hats that Spock puts on to hide his ears. Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly thirty seconds before somebody rips them off his head. Yeah, well, that's yeah, of course. It goes without saying. Yes, and of course he's dead, and uh, you know there's a number of those. Yeah, that's that's part of the joy of Star Trek, though is is waiting for the. Uh, it's really a drinking game kind of show. <laughs> well, it was way ahead of its time. You know, for a show for a show that was um, intended as a cultural commentary a lot of the time, and you you could get. Um, you could you could think of it if somebody described it as like well it was a sci-fi show but it was during the 60s and they did a lot of idealistic things where they talked about issues but couched it in sci-fi which was very influential for me because to this day that's one of the things i like about science fiction is the idea mm-hmm. that and that's why i read mostly science fiction is i love the idea about talking about the issues of today but um by putting it in another world you you get you kind of get away with more you get to talk about uh the issues directly without really dealing with the the details that happen in the modern in you know in our regular world and that comes straight from star trek but you could tell that story and people would be like wow that's a real snooze this is going to be like a liberal hippie uh lecture about the stuff and and what strikes me about the original star trek is um they didn't take themselves too seriously right there's a lot of like wackiness happening on star trek and and it could have been like death right if this was played straight and it's not played i mean there are things that are serious in it but it's not it's not played straight there are there are like i mean to the point where there are many episodes that end with everybody laughing and then there's a freeze frame like (laughs) it's an episode of knight rider or of uh i I know some 80s it's still a product of the time hardcastle and mccormick yeah Oh, uh, hold steady in the chat room. Points out interracial kiss. That's another one of those ones that would come up. There's, there's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. rarely an episode where Kirk isn't macking on somebody. And then mm-hmm. later seasons, they actually, I think, even Bones and Chekhov. Chekhov has a whole uh, in the Western episode. It gets a girl. Well, and his ex girlfriend is in the in the hippie episode. My daughter always hides her face when those moments come up. So 
Oh yeah, my daughter was rolling her eyes today when Kirk when Kirk was uh was uh kissing uh oh I forget even I mean there's so many. I can't even remember which episode that was where he was kissing, he was kissing some girl cuz that's what he does, right? That's that's she's irresistible cuz his shirt's off usually. Yes. That's just it's funny it. for that's all her. the social commentary, for all of the commentary on race and such that's evident in Star Trek. As far as females were concerned, we weren't quite there yet. Yeah, it was it was interesting. And yet, for the time, for the time, it was actually groundbreaking in terms of feminism well, sure. too. You've got a black woman on the bridge as the communications officer. That's impressive in 1968. Yeah, it's just now looking back, you think. There, well, there's a moment in the Corbomite maneuver, which is the, like I said, the first episode they shot after the two pilots that uh, Yeoman Rand comes to give him his salad that Dr. McCoy has prescribed, which is very funny because <laughs> he shoots him daggers like, you know, you're, you're killing me. That Even fully formed in the first episode with McCoy, it, you know, fully formed that relationship and how Kirk is like, oh, McCoy, you're ruining my life. But the amazing thing about it is, is there's this weird exchange where Kirk says, the you know, if I talk to the person at Starfleet who assigned me a female yeoman, and McCoy just immediately responds, what, Jim, don't you trust yourself? And it's like, wow. Okay. In the Man Trap, Yeoman Rand uh, delivers a salad to Sulu for some reason. That's what uh, she does. Apparently that was her, her job. Was, salad delivery. No. Salad delivery. McCoy is insane. McCoy is prescribing salad. If McCoy had his way, there'd be no more meat on the ship. It would all be salad all the time. I always thought they like they shouldn't be eating on the bridge, right? Like it, like that can't be good for the controls. And yet it, yet in Corbin might maneuver, um Rand There's comes like up to being the coffee, and, thermos yeah. of coffee is yeah, I'm confused. It seems like they have real salad and yet when they go to eat anything else it's like foam it's blocks. Like... <laughs> Multicolored foam. Well they have a hydroponics bay. Yeah. They can grow their own salad. Sure. Oh okay. You're not supposed to look very closely at the phone block. Salad is, is, I mean, again, Dr. McCoy is looking out for the welfare of the crew. If they really want meat, it will be served in block form. <laughs> That's but, right. But you can have a fresh salad anytime. <laughs> and speaking of food uh, and talking about how the characters don't seem to get what's going on. Uh, <laughs> so Charlie X, which I watch because I'm watching the first few, the first season, which an yeah. episode I like, uh, involves uh, this kid who has powers. It's an early shirtless Kirk. Early yes. shirtless Kirk. In fact, I believe yeah. he, he gets shirtless to show uh, Charlie X a few moves. Yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah. He takes him to the gym yeah. and says, Let, let's do some judo because you seem unstable. <laughs> first thing was we take off the shirt. That's that's yeah. first order right. of business in any kind of judo. Charlie X, who was originally called Anthony in the Twilight Zone episode, but here he's Charlie X. Naturally. <laughs> yes, it is exactly pretty much the same uh, plot. But anyway, so uh, Charlie X has these powers and he... Uh, it, the episode takes place on Thanksgiving, and the crew can't have turkey. They have to have synthetic meatloaf, yes. uh, which Charlie X wow. uh, thinks is sad, apparently. So he, Starfleet sucks. Man. He, he, but we have real kale. Real kale, <laughs> yeah. synthetic meatloaf. Thanks, both. And he, he magically turns it into turkey, and uh, they report this to the captain. And he doesn't seem perturbed that uh magically their synthetic meatloaf has turned into turkey well kirk seems like the kind of guy who would let it go as long as it was just food that was yeah. being trans transformed that's all he gives khan complete access to all technical manuals for the <laughs> entire right. ship they're not very good why would he not let he okay he's exhibiting extra human powers but mm -hmm. but he's making 
turkey. turkey. So it's good. So it's okay. All right. Well, call me if he does something bad, like more salad. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm okay with it. That episode also contains the line where Kirk explains to Charlie X, and he says, "There's no right way to hit a woman," which is true. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. feminism of 1967 was that oh. yeah yeah no it's 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 uh, again it's remarkable how it's managed to not age as much as i think it could and it's oh no yeah you know because because it was so radical at the time and now we think that it's kind of quaint but at the time a lot of the stuff that we we now think we just take for granted at the time was kind of kind of crazy radical for star trek i mean to get to give them full credit but even so there are those moments where, where you're like you know oh well here's i love the i love when they cut to captain kirk putting his boots on because that means that there's been some 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 uh bed duty for captain kirk <laughs> and bed now duty. he's done and can put his boots back on <laughs> that's oh captain kirk <sighs> yeah yeah that's right an orion slave woman in every port every star base so I, I love, you know, we can make fun of, of, of Star Trek because there are so many things. I mean, and it also deals with the fact that this is the show that is the root for so many other things. So that a lot of the tropes here get expanded upon by other shows and, of course, have become famous and have been parodied in movies like Galaxy Quest. But, you know, again, I, I have such a love for this show. And I have to admit, there are there are many terrible episodes and there are many fantastic, wonderful episodes for lots of different reasons. And I thought one of the things we could do was uh, just walk through. I mean, we, we, we can't walk through all 79 because that would be a very oh, long podcast. I believe there is could. a podcast actually out there on the Internet, and I'll put it in the show notes, that is walking through every single episode one by one. And Scott and I have discussed one day doing a Wheel of Fortune style, a lottery style podcast where we just pick a random episode of Star Trek and talk about it. Okay, I'm in for that. Good or bad? Uh, all, all series. All, all series. So you basically yes, like, if it's thing. a really lousy episode of Voyager, too bad. You gotta watch it, right? <laughs> gotta watch it. You but, watch them. but uh, you know, anyway. But uh, I wanted to ask you guys. I asked you to uh, before the show to come up with a few, and Scott and I took a few to mean like more than a dozen <laughs> uh, oh. episodes that you like, and then maybe some episodes we can talk about that are stinkers, so we can we can focus in on a few episodes of the original Star Trek and talk about them. So, uh, uh, Steve, do you have a, an episode that, that you'd like to bring up as, as one of the ones that you've really liked? I've got a couple. All right. Yeah. There's a few that, that I just think are cool because they're, there are places where I'm finally getting, uh, references that I've heard a thousand times, like Miri, for instance, with the no foolies. Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, just in on an email thread earlier this week, I said, brain and brain. What is brain? And you're like, oh, yes. I get that now. Yes, right. regrettably. Yes, regrettably. sadly, because that means you watch Spock's brain. Sorry. I have a whole new storehouse of utterly useless knowledge now. It's, thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. The, the Star Trek canon will sit right alongside the combined lyrics of ABBA. Thank you for that. So I like I like that. I like Corbin Maneuver, although you're right, it is a bit slow. Um, yeah. No, I love that. That's on my list. Yeah, I don't want to go too much into detail on that because I figure you guys will spend yeah. about 45 minutes talking yeah. about yours. Yeah, Clint Howard is in that. So, yes. I like uh, the Changeling, which is the one with the nomad robot robot that floats around the Enterprise. There's something real creepy about that. Huh. I, I wonder how much of my dislike of that episode now is because they remade it as the Star Trek The Motion Picture. They ripped off so much mm-hmm. of that for Star Trek The Motion Picture that it kind of lost its luster for me. Yeah, I've blacked that out of my memory. I am nomad. <laughs> 
right. other than the commercial. <laughs> well, the, the, the talking. When he's not talking, he's a little creepy. He is really when, creepy, right? Because they, they, the they beam him no up ends. and he just starts floating around, right? I think of probably of the, uh, of the episodes I've seen. And again, I've not seen all of season three, so there could be some real gems packed there on the back end. <laughs> There, there is, <laughs> there's, there's some good. There ones, is, but, there is one. There, there the, the next to last episode is actually really good. I think my favorite of all is probably the finale of season one, uh, Operation Annihilate. Ah. Uh, partially because it's the one with the exclamation mark, and how can you not love yes. that? Colon and an exclamation point. Oh my god, it's got a colon too. It's yes, got everything. It, it, uh, I think it's, it's picked dash. up all the punctuation that <laughs> fell out of Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They over. They used up all of the punctuation. Uh, yeah, I like that one because it, it has some kind of creepy horror elements, like the the guys running towards the crew with their clubs, shouting, "We don't want to hurt you." Right. I like that. It's kind of a, a nice precursor to some of the later zombie films, which I have been known to enjoy from Indeed. time to time. And then I like the fact that the bad guys turn out to be flying eggs over easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always thought they were more like pancakes, but you're right. It's but there's something there's something freaky about that because they you know they attach themselves to you and then you go nuts. And, and Steve, you and I went to UCSD, and although th- this episode uh, Operation Annihilate was was shot at like the Rand Corporation in L.A., it looks. Uh, it's of that architecture, oh, right? Oh, very much it so, It might as yeah. well be shot at Central Library at UCSD. That's a really good point. That's a and, really good uh, point. And Kirk's brother makes a surprise appearance in that. Very right? briefly. Yes. Very briefly. Well, I think he yes. appears on the floor, and that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yes. Killed by a pancake. Yeah. Things never go well for people from his past. No. The crew seems to have brothers and and sisters that sort of appear and disappear depending on whether they need to have a dead family member for a given plot point. So. Right. And there's even a fake brother, I think, that Chekhov uh, gets at one point during a, an episode where um, there's a sort of fake war being staged on board the Enterprise between the crew and the Klingons. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. But yeah, I, I really like that episode. I, 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 I enjoy the ones where they really do try to to make it uh, sort of a, a space-based show as opposed to this is a spaceship and here we've come upon uh, something that could have happened in a regular show because we ran out of ideas for science fiction. And so now now we're going to have the crew uh, escaping Chicago. Um, hmm. And so th- another one that I like a lot is Devil in the Dark, which is the one where the, the, oh, uh, yes. the, the large uh, rolled-up carpet is attacking miners. Yeah. yeah, the Horta. The Horta. The Horta. Thank you. I love that, mm-hmm. I love that episode. That, that is, that's in my I, – I think I made a list, and I tried to order it roughly in the order of my favorite, and that's in my top like two, really or, nice. two or three. No, it burns messages with, with its acid. No kill eye, right? <laughs> um, but it's such, it, it's such a beautiful episode because it is. it's got the I, great horror movie – Right, kind of tropes right. of like, and it is it is genuinely creepy. Which it, it's there aren't too many episodes where they they really manage to to do fear or tension. Yeah, they're in those tunnels, and right. the monster is going to come and kill them, and the guy and the guys get you know horribly burned by the acid. And stuff. It's almost pre alien in nature, really. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, it's very really... similar to that. I mean, in spite of the fact that the creature looks like a, a calzone that was left in the microwave <laughs> for too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I also think it's probably one of the first instances where there's some sort of malevolent creature, and Spock melds with it, and they and and they realize that this thing is uh, is actually on the good side. Although, actually, 
arena might have preceded it's that just one. Protecting its kids. That's your that's your great Twilight Zone twist, though, is that this the creature is horrible and not humanoid in any way, and in fact silicon based, not even yep, carbon right. based life form. And yet, in the end, what what we realize is that these jerks who are the miners here we right. are the real monsters are, well, yeah the miners, oh, the miners are the real monsters not right. me the miners because the because the those little balls are, it's eggs They're it's eggs. just a mother trying to protect its eggs but of course that's oh. one of those episodes where oh. you knew that like two hours two hours oh. before the crew did it's true but i do love a horda omelet though <laughs> or the omelet, excellent. Right, good. I can't even judge it though, because again, I've, I've I've seen that episode so long that I don't remember not realizing that those were the eggs. So there's no <laughs> way for me to judge whether I would have gotten that, uh, right. seen that coming. But it's so it's just it's so beautiful because in the end, this monster, I, I just love that that moment where Spock. Uh, you know, mind melds with the Horda and, and in that high-pitched voice he talks about how upset it is and, and then the idea at the end where where basically these miners are all chastened and kind of sad that they've done this tor- terrible thing and and you hear that the Horda and its babies have hatched and they're just moving around and everybody's happy and... Yay. You know, yeah, it's That's it's, right, too. It's, it's, really it's cool. an opportunity for Nimoy to monologue and actually show some emotion, as I recall, in an extended oh, yeah. sequence. And that's a, that's a pretty good bit. One of those, one of those rare, rare kind of things where he does the right. he does the full on emotion and yeah, I love I love that episode because it it, it gives you that nice ni- that nice twist that you want where it starts out and it's this kind of creepy monster plot and then it turns out we're the monsters again, right. which is your go to Twilight Zone twist, right? right? But it's well, still, and it happened works. seven or eight times in the rest of the series as sure. well. But at this sure. point, it was still fairly fresh. I think that the, the, the best episode example. might have preceded this one, but this one is pretty good. Yeah, and this one features uh, McCoy. Proclaiming that he is a doctor and not, in fact, a, a bricklayer. bricklayer. Oh, which one is the one where he says he's not an escalator? I think that's my personal favorite. <laughs> I, don't I think know. that might be the Gorn, wasn't that? No, he wasn't on. No, the no, I, no, I just that. watched I that one. No, but that the bricklayer. But that's a beautiful thing because he. But it shows McCoy like trying to adapt to the ridiculous science fictional premises. So he's like, I can get some like plaster. Right. Maybe that'll work, right? <laughs> All right, let's try it. It's like because in Britain, bandages are called plasters, and this is a silicon-based life form. So therefore, maybe I could use actual plaster as a plaster. Does anybody have any salad? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why we happen to have some? After Bones <laughs> saves the Horda, he has a victory salad. That's right. I get the impression that Bones actually has all the meat on the ship. And what he's doing by prescribing salad to everybody else is just taking their meat away, so he can That's eat right. it. He eats. He eats all of the brown-colored blocks. It's it's unclear what what the qualifications are to practice medicine in the future. You know that computer <laughs> probably does a lot of the work for him. Right. You know, you just have to be cranky. He just has to kind of show up and read stuff off that. Damn screen. it! I'm a doctor, not a. Oh, I'm a doctor, right? To, that... to call what Bones does medicine is a bit of a stretch. I mean, <laughs> he points the little. The, the, he scans. scans you. He scans yeah. you. Yeah. He will He's poke you with a pen that is supposed to inject you with something. And mm-hmm. if if by some chance you are killed, he will uh, float a D cell battery around your head that makes a <laughs> noise for a little while before declaring you dead. But he also has those uh, the pedals in the mm-hmm. wall, as we mentioned. <laughs> I have to. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he just got those at a yes. very high cost. It's. I have to assume that the entire crew of the Enterprise has signed a do not resuscitate because he never even tries. It's just he's dead. <laughs> well, they're always dead by the time he gets there. Well, he gets there like three, three seconds after they were shot or hit with a rock. Yeah, but he knows they're not going to make it. He's that good. Yeah, he's, he knows. Don't he's, just, he's got a lot to do. 
He, he doesn't want to get like hung up it's, on you know the, it's the just flashlight battery. Code. No, no, he's lost. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Let's stand, not make it a thing. Don't, don't much like that guy. We'll we'll move there, on. There's another one just like him. <laughs> yeah, Bones knows when to cut his losses. Right, and then of course uh, uh, a muck time, which I'm sure we'll be talking oh, about later. Yeah. Oh yeah, with yes. the pond far, not to be confused with its close cousin Jamie far. No, but equally, very different, or equally disturbing, the delicious. Parfait. No, well, that's that's the episode where we get most of the Vulcan stuff, which that's is that's it. That's it for the Vulcan stuff, except for the mm-hmm. Benihana like quarters of, of Spock. Well, no, no, that's... there's there's a journey to Babel with his parents, right, which follows it up a little bit. But isn't a muck time like the beginning of a second season? So that's like literally the fans yep. were in love with Mr. Spock, and so they did an episode where they really like it okay. was, I believe, the first episode aired in the second season, yeah. although not in fact the first episode. Yeah, but close, of, close enough where they, they had done the first year and they realized that people, oh, they love Mr. Spock. All right, we'll, we'll take you to Mr. Spock's home planet. And you end up with this, this uh, you know, actually pretty cool episode with uh, a couple of twists and turns and Spock ends up having to fight Kirk. And that maybe my single most favorite ep- uh, moment in the series is when, t- after after Spock thinks he's killed Kirk, and T'Pau says, live long and prosper, Spock. And he says, I've killed my captain and my friend. I shall do neither. And he's just like, Spock's low point has been That's, reached. Yeah, and then he Spock beams up, and of sad. course, Dr. McCoy, while having a salad, has formulated <laughs> yes. a, a fake compound, Triox compound. Jim! Jim! <laughs> I'm so happy! I mean, I mean, it is good to see. He's showing you. a little bit of heart and soul. I know, it, it, and there's a nice reference to '80s music. Thank you, That's Steve. Right. Well, you already mentioned Tapau, so I figured it needed to be done. It it did. It did. I was just reading on Wikipedia that the lead singer of the band Tapau was ironing like a shirt while watching Star Trek, and that episode was on, and she was like, and, and then she dropped it in the bathtub she was standing Tapau, in. That's that's pretty. That's pretty good. And then yeah. they they named themselves, and then they had one Tapau. one hit. That's a good episode, though. A mock time. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's because uh, I, I love that that it's all like the bureaucracy of Vulcan sexuality. It's like <laughs> it's like, well, technically, you know, well, he has to come back to Vulcan. All right, fine. He throws soup right. at Nurse Chapel, which is great. He's very right. testy. Well, and, and the bit where he, in a sexual <laughs> frenzy, crushes his computer monitor like it's a piece of plastic is, is <laughs> which fantastic. it is. Yes, which it is. But he right. does a number on that. They're easily broken. <laughs> I know how he feels, incidentally. I've I've been there, Spock. <laughs> yeah, we all want to crush. If my That's monitor right. was made of the crushable soft plastic, I would do that all the time. It's it's tough. It's every seven years or something, isn't it? So he's yeah. so angry. You think he, you think he would have like put a reminder in his calendar and just like, <laughs> yeah. like don't go to work this week? <laughs> yeah. How do you think the soup will help me, Chapel? Vulcans and Ponfar only eat salads. Well, what, yeah, that's it. What, what happened is that he went to Dr. McCoy and asked for help, and he just prescribed a salad. Not helpful! <laughs> that's no, this makes it Damn worse! Damn your green blood, Spock! You put anchovies in here! It makes it worse! Yeah, much worse. Anyway, um, so that does it for my handful of favorites. I could probably do more, uh, like you. I think the ones that I like, uh, there, are, there are actually quite a few that I enjoy, and there aren't too many that sort of jump out as being best of show. But those, those are among yeah. my favorites. Uh, least favorites, pretty much anyone where the the uh, the writers said, "Hey, we're out of ideas, and we have this <laughs> perfectly good Roman slash Western oh, slash yes. Chicago slash cityscape Nazi laying around." Or, done those a yeah. So let's have the crew get marooned there. Planet of the backlots. <laughs> we'll put we'll put Spock in a, a little uh, like a beret or a balaclava or something, and uh, 
my wife um, and I were talking about this today uh, because she, she didn't grow up with Star Trek, really. And she makes fun of the, you know, Planet of the Nazis, Planet of the Gangsters. Mm-hmm. And what I was saying to her is, you know, some of those episodes aren't so bad. Uh, there are other episodes that aren't as well known that are much worse. Like if they had done one, it would have been quite good. Well, so like, Planet, like, like a piece of the action is actually one of my favorites because it's funny yeah, and, and and it's right, got a plot it where it's not like the gangsters magically appeared. They're like it's part of the there's like cultural contamination that leads to the gangsters being there. And even the planet of the Nazis episode, which is not one of patterns of force, not one of my favorites, but the idea there is like a a historian had the bright idea of like, well, parts of what Hitler did weren't so bad. Let's try. No, no, don't do it. Right. And he does it. And it's a, it's a disaster. But there are also those episodes like um, there's uh, there's Miri, which is like, we've come to a planet that's exactly like earth. Why? Why is it exactly like earth? It, just how much parallel development is going on yeah. out here in the universe, in the same sector that the Enterprise happens to be in. Right, or Bread and Circuses, which is like, it's it's right. the Romans. or and, and there are a few episodes like that. And those, or, or the one with the, the Omega Glory, right, with the Yangs and the Combs, where it's the, like they, they end up with an yeah, American but, uh, flag and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. That's, what that's is what that about? To me. That's absurd. That's what gets it. Like, yeah, I can get the, like, parallel development, like... We can be at a, a world that looks that, you know, it's in many ways similar to the ancient Romans, but it's like, no, it's exactly like the ancient Romans. They have, you know, they, they have, in fact, iconography that, you know, has has developed identical in parallel here where people will have like. An and American Jesus flag is or, also yes. there. Oh, that, that, oh, by yeah. the way, Jesus. You know what? But apparently we have to be aware. It would have been a lot better if they just cut it off like two minutes before they did that at the end. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> did not, did not help it. I guess this is either, it's either a trope of 60 science fiction that hasn't survived because it's ridiculous or it was just, they're like, what the hell? You know, it's sci-fi. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to care. You know, because like with Miri, I feel like they just didn't have a planet to use. So they said, we'll just say it looks exactly like Earth. Why? Well, wait, why? They, they were colonists, weren't they? I mean, most of the time, the excuse would be they're colonists. Well, most and, of the time, but not all, why... right, not in, not in Miri, where they just, there's right. a planet that looks exactly like Earth. Is that not... right? Are you sure? I yeah. think they were in, infected with some sort of virus. Yeah, no, but the, the planet, like the geography of the planet, it's literally the same continents. Oh. It doesn't make any sense. I think they just didn't want to have another planet <laughs> shape. So, so they thinking. a red ball or a yellow ball. So they just had the Earth again. So what the with no clouds because they didn't really know about clouds. Apparently, <laughs> that was the difference. There were no clouds. No, no weather satellites that at that difference. point. Uh, yeah, you know those are the ones. But the the like the Omega Glory where we, E plab mista right where the the literally the climax of the episode <laughs> right. is Kirk reading. You said the, them so badly. Reading the preamble to the the Constitution yeah. or the uh, freedom is or one the of Declaration our of Independence or whatever it is so terrible. Those are the ones Jason, that really get me. Why, why do you hate America? I, I don't. I just hate the Omega Glory. It's uh, really bad. It's it, really it, bad. It Only commies up. hate that episode. Yeah. True. Yeah. The it's the combs. The so combs. those are pretty bad, and mm. and I agree with you on all those points. And just the fact that they went to that well so many times, I think, is probably the worst of it. Yeah. Um, not a big fan of Cat's Paw, which is the Halloween flavored that's, one. That's high on my list, Steve. With too. the lady that turns into a huge cat for some reason. There's a witch <laughs> and a warlock and a like bird made out of feathery pipe cleaners. Right. And it's yeah, it's the Halloween. It's, it's the Halloween episode. The Halloween episode, and it's it's 
incomprehensibly bad. It's dreadful. It is dreadful. Even as a Halloween episode, it's, it's bad. It's so Even terrible. Even given that those, those limitations. Because it's, it's that it's, runaround of like there's they have complete control and nothing is real. So the, the, the characters do things and then they're immediately negated. And it's a little bit like the Squire of Gothos with Trelane, but that's a much better episode this one that's is on just list of good nothing happens yeah right yeah but this one nothing happens they just i mean it's like a guy with a cape and a collar and a lady <laughs> all you need and they oh it's so bad yeah cat's paw so right. un, un, again you talk about the plan of the nazis all you like cat's paw way worse way i agree worse. i agree i agree and again it's it, the reason i don't like those other episodes is just because it's been done and it wasn't that great the first time. Oh yeah, but the cat's paw features a tiny enterprise though. That, that's that's cool. that is true. They they do shrink so the enterprise cool. down into a pendant. You know what, Scott? It was always actually kind of small. It's just a model. <laughs> what? Yeah, sorry. Blowing my mind. Uh, but they put it over a flame, and they're like, "Boy, that model is it's pretty hot big. in here." <laughs> Closing out my list. Um, not a big fan of either of the stupid episodes featuring Harry Mudd, whom I like to think of uh, as the Tom Bombadil of Star Trek. Oh, Harry Mudd. He he wears a man blouse. Only recurring character in the original Star Trek. And good God, why? Well, so so Mutt's women has some things that are good about it. I think I like the whole uh, old ladies made attractive by by self confidence and and by self confidence in the end. Yes, that's interesting. My too. wife points out that the the only difference between the horribly ugly version and the beautiful version is that the, their hair is better and they have makeup. Yeah. There's like a mole. <laughs> they they stuck like a mole yeah, on one exactly. of them. I think. And and there's a filter on the camera. Yeah, there's that same soft focus the they soft use whenever fil- they yeah. do the close ups. Yeah. yeah, Jerry Finnerman, the the director of photography of Star Trek, always took the women and put that super like Vaseline covered lens yeah. on. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're all Barbara Walters. And I remember watching Moonlighting in the 80s and thinking, Sybil Shepard looks like a Star Trek. And it turns out it's the same director of photography. That's like his thing, is so super soft focus on the, on the ladies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Women of the future are blurry. Yeah. So so I, I wanted to say the, the second I Mud, the second Harry Mud episode, not yes. very good, but I, it makes me laugh. There are some funny bits. The, the many wives that appear, as predictable as it is at the end, is pretty amusing. And the android, it's like a parody of a Star Trek episode in some ways, where the yes. android... So many episodes are parodies of Star <laughs> Trek episodes. Though. The android logic in that, I mean, we did our our, our uh, game show episode. Oh, did we? When did we do that? Last year, that nobody what? listened really? to, and nobody said anything. And there's a whole segment in there that's that, that was called I Am an Android, I Am a Star Trek Android, which is just, it's it's I Mud, which is that, I, but you said it was true, and yet it is false. Error, 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 and then smoke comes out of his ears, because yes. that's how you destroy an android. Android is confuse him. Yeah, makes sense. Also, how you can destroy a computer. It's their Achilles heel. Uh, and again, that's that's another one of those things that that they go to that well quite a few times over the course of the series. <laughs> but you're right. Harry Mudd is just this really broad. I mean, like you know, I like the trouble with Tribbles, but it's Cyrano Jones in that. It's like he's a he's a rogue. Well, he's a really really broad rogue, right? right. Like yes. way over the top. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, I would be remiss not to mention. And, and I'm not sure whether to put this as a favorite or a least favorite, but <laughs> the eternal struggle, the the Gene Roddenberry Hail Mary attempt to launch another series at the end of season two. Oh, assignment Earth. Another colon based assignment episode. colon Earth, but no exclamation point. <laughs> no exclamation mark. Sadly, I think they yeah. had used up their oh, quota. That's that was the trouble. Had they yes, had they thrown in an exclamation mark at the end, they might well have launched that series. But yes, Terry Gar. 
apparently exceedingly uncomfortable in her short skirt. Yeah. And uh, a fantastic hat for Spock in that one. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And it's just... There's so such pathos in an episode that doesn't even really have the main characters in it. it it's very similar to what uh, what the the Brady Bunch showrunner did at one point with a bunch of orphans that showed up and they were trying to launch a spinoff there. And it yeah. was just as feeble and depressing there. Doesn't that one have a magic cat in it also? It does have a magic cat. <laughs> it does. It, who may be a girl, but maybe a cat. Yeah, it turns into a girl and then doesn't. And then yes, turns back from a yeah. girl. Robert Lansing's, I, I wouldn't have minded a show with Robert Lansing and Terry Carr doing kind of crazy adventures. You know, Robert Lansing's cool. My nine-year-old daughter actually said she wished it had become a show, believe it or not. It it, it, it was uh, an interesting idea. And Robert Lansing, you know, he's, he's uh, did you ever watch, was he on The Equalizer? He was really great on, I think, The Equalizer. Really? Because he was like the control, he was control. He was like his the Equalizer's old spy boss who would bring him back. And Robert Lansing, great, uh, great actor. Um, but you're right. Assignment Earth is bizarre because it's a backdoor pilot. It's literally right. the last episode. It's it's pretty backdoor. And, and they and they say, maybe this could be a show. And NBC was like, your show is not even that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently they were they were teetering on the brink of cancellation. And this was this was Gene's attempt to get another show started. Yeah, so it's like he's looking for work before he gets fired because he knows the the axe is hanging over his head. He's got bills to pay. There are not that many episodes of Star Trek with recognizable guest stars who are like went True. on to do other. I mean, Terry Gar and Robert Lansing are actually two of the sterling examples, and the only other example that I can really come up with is Mariette Hartley. Sure. <laughs> I mean, there, there aren't that many like well-known actors. No, and it's weird because frequently I'll see a, a bit character and I'll think, oh, oh sure, that, that guy looks so familiar, and it's probably just one of those guys that was that showed up on every show in the nineteen sixties yeah. and seventies. Miri's friend, one of right, the other kids, the big kind of uh, weird looking boy. That guy has that was that a face of the that was the perfect character actor face, and he has been in everything. Since I remember then. him from Roxanne. He was yeah. he was in that, and I've, I've seen him in several other things as well. A bunch of mash actors are in Star Trek at various points in bit parts, and then Clint, went on to Clint be Howard, of course. Clint Howard is Baylock in yeah. the Corbin Might Maneuver yeah. as a baby. Oh, yeah. So that does it for my list. I, I would right. be remiss if I didn't mention my nine year old daughter's favorite, which is the Naked Time, uh, primarily because of fencing shirtless Sulu. Oh, she yes. likes that bit, and she also likes the creepy part at the beginning where the uh, the red shirt takes off his helmet to scratch his, or takes off his glove to oh, better yes. scratch his nose, and then the, <laughs> and the liquid horrible. sort of creeps onto his hand in a precursor to a thousand uh, sci-fi movies since. So, Marisa was yelling at the TV screen, "Why are you taking off your glove? <laughs> He's got an itch. It itches. Itches much be scratched." You know, the the producers of the of the Star Trek, uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, loved that so much that they. They built the whole thing with Sulu having a sword around the fact that he was crazy mm-hmm. with a sword in the naked time. It's like, hey, Sulu can do something. He has a sword. Yeah. It's true. He's not, although Sulu's very competent, having watched the Corbin Might Maneuver today, where Mr. Bailey is basically in a little reverie most of the time when the Enterprise <laughs> is about to be destroyed. And he'll be like, sh- Kirk shouting at him, like, plot a chorus, plot a chorus, come on, plot a chorus. And then he goes, Sulu, and Sulu's like, boop, boop. Two buttons, course plotted, <laughs> laid in, gone. It's like, why do they even have two chairs? Just let Sulu do it all. Sulu is actually far more competent than most of the command staff. In Relentlessly fact. competent. Yeah. yeah. That's why he's kept at the lower levels. And to think he started off as a botanist. The ship would blow up if it weren't for Sulu. Tony, do you have, uh, do you have favorites and not favorites? 
I've got a list. Um, let's see, removing things that uh, were already mentioned. Um, probably my. I'm, I'm looking at kind of the, also the list in in chronological order. I think my first favorite episode, and these are kind of episodes that kind of stuck with me that I saw both as kind of a kid, and then when I rewatched them recently, and I, I liked them both times. So they they kind of pro- ideally they worked on a couple levels or. You know, or I have not changed at all in twenty years, and I I still enjoyed them. Um, but my first one would be uh, Balance of Terror. Oh yeah, that's on my uh, list. Yes, that's on my list. So uh, the which is your your the first appearance of the Romulans, right? And it's kind of uh, your your classic uh, starship battle. It's a it's a submarine uh, parallel for yeah. a submarine. Yeah. yeah, submarine warfare with the the Romulan um, ship. You know, cloaking and decloaking, and the you know basically kind of hunting the Enterprise and. You know, I, I think there's a lot of great stuff in that that would kind of be built off of in further stuff. Um, some some elements of it don't work. You know, I mean, one of the big reveals was that, you know, the Romulans look like the Vulcans. And, you know, we'll find out more about that later. You get the racist uh, crewman who is like, yeah. Spock, you jerk, you, you, you look like them, even though you showed them, which is why would you be motivated to do that if you. But anyway, I hate you because you have pointed ears. Right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Even though, You're dumb. Okay. I'm in space and probably encounter all kinds of weird-looking guys. Only Bones gets to pull that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a little unfortunate that it, I mean, it's a relatively early episode, and there's not really anything that kind of builds up to that, right? Like we don't. It's it's not like there's prior references to the Romulans as being really scary or mysterious or anything like that. But I just I the the submarine battle between the the. Uh, the Romulans and the Enterprise always sticks with me. Well, Mark Leonard, who went on to play yeah, Spock's father, then becomes Spock's father. Is the, is the Romulan commander who is great. Uh, there's a great um, when the uh, the second in command, the Centurion or whatever, and uh, on on the Romulan ship gets killed at one point mm-hmm. in one of the attacks. You know, in Star Trek fashion, it's like a beam drops on his mm-hmm. head and he dies. But it's <laughs> it's it's actually really really he. It's not like a supernumerary who dies and nobody cares. He's just a red shirt kind of guy. It's like the Mark Leonard's character is like really upset when that happens, and you you get this feeling like they had this whole backstory, right. which you don't get a lot in 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 scenes like that. And, the and then I has love a social structure too. That's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. And I love that the uh, I love the scene where they get all. He says, "Collect all the garbage, basically, mm-hmm. including the Centurion's body, and stick it in a in, in the." torpedo tube and blow it out like we'll pretend that we you know maybe it'll fool them into thinking that we've been blown up and they're looking at debris and i love i love that moment because he's basically you know using his friend's body as a ploy uh, which obviously must be painful to him but he's going to do it because he's he's trying to outwit kirk and you Mm -hmm. get that 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 you know they have respect for each other it's like you know almost like a hunt for red October kind of thing. It yeah. is that sub battle two captains just so it's so claustrophobic and, and it's really great, mm-hmm. which I think kind of, I mean, it builds for future kind of spaceship battles, right? That, that, that there's going to be spaceship battles that are going to be kind of tactical and not, I mean, part of it is their limitation for special effects, right? They don't have kind of star Wars era dog fighting yet. They have these kind of like, you know, tactical, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a battle of wits between the two captains instead of just being firepower. Right. Right. That's a great one. Can, can you explain the the beam based shipboard design, incidentally? Because I don't I don't recall seeing any beams aboard the uh, the uh, Federation ships. It's, it's a Romulan. It's just a Romulan thing exclusively. Yeah. Well, they got the big domey top, and so yeah. you got to yeah. have beams. You have to have beams. Yeah. Yeah, I think they structure. build off of that later. I mean, I, I think in in next gen you see a lot of 
you see the Klingon ships, and they've got beams, all beams, kinds of impractically yeah, placed. Iron and it's like, and bolts. Really, people should be able to like walk through here and like that. You know, you think people would be yeah. hitting their head on that all the time, but it's like no nope, Klingons like girder. To be fair, in Star Trek Two, um, Khan's half of Khan's people are crushed by beams too. So mm-hmm. it right. happens on Federation ships too, at least when they're hijacked by bad guys. Girders are, you know, are a menace today and in the future. And in the Balance of Terror, I like the whole idea that they've never, they haven't seen each other. Like, mm-hmm. They've never seen the Romulans, so it's kind of that extra. Ooh, what are they? Yeah, like? that's and then a the big reveal. Yeah, that's, that's your that's cold, good... nice Cold War thing too. It's like you, yeah. you hate them, but you don't really even know who they are. I like that aspect of a lot of the early episodes, though. It's like they aren't really sure what they're doing yet as a show. And so mm-hmm. like, I think there's an early episode with the Klingons where half of them are calling them Klingons and half are calling them Klingons. Klingons. Yeah. The Klingons. And then Nimoy, I think, is the only one who oh, stubbornly insists on calling the ship's instrument sensors until sensors. the end. Everyone else has moved to sensor readings at that point. But, yeah. <laughs> but in those early eps, it's just like nobody's really quite sure what they're doing. They, just, and, they didn't have a pronunciation guide. Yeah. Well, you know, Spock was really shouty at the beginning, too. Like in the, in the original pilot in the cage, the menagerie, he does right. a lot of shouting. Every time he's scanning is shouting, apparently. And he, and he does that. <laughs> and even in the Corbomite maneuver, when they went to series, that episode, he does a lot of shouting, you know, uh, 20 meters, <laughs> you know, everything. Sensor is reading clear. He's doing all these Just crazy dramatic. shouting. It's like, Spock, Spock, calm down. Calm down. We get it. We get it. You're right. You have, you have the sensors. He's worked with Kirk before. He, yeah. he knows what gets through. Okay. Balance of Terror. That's a good one. Balance of Terror. Um, uh, the Squire of Gothos is on my list. Oh, Trelane. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I like Trelane. Um, I like Q and Next Gen, and you know uh, who is they're kind basically of the same. Yeah, basically the yeah. Same. yeah. Um, you know, ex- I guess except that Trelane can be defeated. It's amazing how many episodes of of the original series are based on somebody having ultimate power. There is a lot. They they roughly two thirds of the episode involve <laughs> either some evolved race that through millions of years have managed to to become omnipotent, or some singular force right. like. Charlie X or Trelane. One third of them are someone who can't handle it, someone who's immature. Who yes, has power. right. Those right. are the, the ones you who have know. not evolved, the ones who just got yeah. got it by some other means. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, virtually, yeah, two thirds of the episodes are, are basically uh, uh, wishing them into the cornfield territory. Yeah. Well, that, it's that, you know, we, we venture out into the world, into the galaxy, and, and there will be creatures more powerful than us. And, you know, how will we understand them? And in the, in the, the you know, which is interesting, right? It's to say that look, these people are in the future, but they're still not necessarily the most advanced race that's out here, and we we need some humility. Of course, in the end of the of uh, both Squire of Gothos and Charlie X, don't they end with mommy coming to <laughs> to take them Squire home? Of Do- Squire of Gothos definitely does. Yeah. yeah, Charlie X. The ending is kind of very sad. I think it is sad. Charlie is a human that has left on this this planet, and uh, for some reason. And these aliens raise him and give him these powers. It was a, a ship crash, I think. Right. He was very, the only survivor of a ship crash. A very stranger in a strange land, actually. Yeah, yeah that's true. And they give him these powers so he can live, and then so he, humans find him, and he can't really. He's a teenager, and he has he has all these powers, so he can't really control it. He's he's swatting Yeoman Rand, and so everyone's like, "Hey, get rid of!" It. And then the aliens appear at the end and take him back. Right. But, He's like, please don't make me go. I can't touch them. They're so alien. And then, yeah. but uh, they're like, no, you're you're bad. So get out of here. That one really is Anthony. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's virtually identical. The kid, the kid, I think actually makes a mouth disappear at one point too. Charlie's our new darling, our darling, our darling. Yes. Charlie's our new darling. <laughs> <laughs> and it does feature 
weird song stress uh uhura yeah you know what and that's the other thing i love about those early episodes is they actually showed life aboard ship which they later did obviously quite a lot on uh next generation but in those early episodes you got a lot of people walking down the the uh, corridors yeah you got uh uhura having some downtime singing with their weird instrument in the in the bar i mean there's a ship's bar learning with spock which you never really see again and then uh you know as as years went by they kind of it kind of became the the Kirk Bones and uh, Spock show. The first few episodes of the first season I kept thinking this is Mad Men in space because there's casual sexism and everyone's drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just need to throw in some advertising and uh there you're done. But I, I like that element of it and I think I think the show kind of lost a little something when they they started de-emphasizing that. Yeah, they they um like I said about the Corbin might maneuver there it's surprising how the first 20 minutes or so of that episode there's a lot of just sort of like detail about shipboard life and conversation and and things like that and it's not really about the plot you know maybe because they didn't have enough but you get the sense that they're trying to also kind of tell the story that is uh you know the people on this ship and they're on the on this mission and they have you know, they want you to see what life is like in the future for these people, uh, which is kind of interesting that they, they, they felt that they needed to, you know, now we take it for granted. It's like, well, it's Star Trek and they've got a spaceship. But back then it was like, no, no, they're, you know, they're, it's, it's a little like the military and they've got, uh, they've got ranks, but they also, they're out in far away from home and they have their, their things that they do when they're out there. And they, they really were trying to make an effort, I think, to the audience that was really not expecting a show like this to sort of show here's what life is like on the ship in the future which right. you know we're really making an attempt to do that later they didn't so much uh anyways we were we were on squire of clubhouse from tony but <laughs> Sorry, tony. But, but no no no, no that's cool. that's um no it, it, it's that he's like trelane is like q and and uh like charlie x it's that same thing because at the end the his uh he, he's revealed to be this uh basically a kid of this om- omnipotent race and mommy and daddy come to take him away mm-hmm. man da- the universe is a dangerous place it is uh next on my list again kind of moving chronologically except that the list starts to jump as we go further past the first and second season uh it's not equally weighted uh the city on the edge of forever oh yeah uh classic yeah. harlan ellison yeah um, Con- considered the best episode i think by consensus yeah and, i mean uh, i think i think it I like that was one of the kind of first, you know, time travel plots I think I saw in yeah. probably in science fiction way back when I saw it as a young child. But but there's still there's a lot to it just beyond, you know, time travel and having to preserve things. And um, I also thought it was interesting. They do they travel back in time, but they don't just go to when the show was shot. I feel like that happens you know, later time right. travel. It's like we're conveniently going to go so that we can to just the present this, day. Yeah. To the present <laughs> to our present day. For for budgetary reasons, but Paramount had a Depression era New York set, so just lying around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Do you think That's they also right. had a set lying around with the, the spooky rock with a hole in the middle? Just you know, possibly <laughs> have some people yeah. jump through that. Um, I think that was on the set manics. of The Price Is Right at one point. <laughs> right. It was the, the failed Plinko. <laughs> Let's play Guardian of Forever. Uh, there was a little spaceman that walked up, and you know, if you bet, if you bid too high, you'd fall was... off the top of the rock and land in 1942. And you know, I mean, they're all kind of super established tropes now, but but even the idea that they have to deal with the, the life or death of the, the woman that um, McCoy accidentally saves. And, well, um, and the Kirk, you know, who we've seen as being this kind of 
ladies man putting on his boots at various points mm-hmm. is you know with with Edith Keeler he he there are lots of you know time sort of passes here where, where we get the implication that they spend time there and he really falls in love with mm-hmm. Joan Collins again another person who went on to be in lots of other stuff um as Edith Keeler and and so you get that real tragedy that uh when Spock says Jim for you know for history to reassert itself and for the u.s to win uh, world war ii either keeler must die and it's 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 you know it is this really sad thing that that kirk has to you know find out whatever you know is going to cause her to be saved or to die and it turns out it's bones and they have to catch bones mm-hmm. and stop him from from doing a good thing it was bones is bones doesn't change history by being a crazy guy who does something bad he actually does it by being a decent human being who tries to save somebody and she needs mm-hmm. to die even though she's good and is trying to be a pacifist it leads to all these horrible things i i love that i love that tragedy along with the uh you know, also the, the just the joy of Spock wearing a Steve. Here's your hat of the yes. day. Mm-hmm. He he has his little beanie that he puts yep. on. Dock and, worker's right. cap. And he that's right. He's a dock worker in and, that one. That's and he's a good got one. these stone knives and bearskins that he's trying to use to make his little thing for the tricorder, so he can check the memory bank. That one, if I remember correctly, no one rips that hat off his head at any point. No, but earlier he's got the cherry. He has the, to uh, explain the rice picker. He's chi- My friend yes. is obviously oh, Chinese. That's, right. that's right. <laughs> of course. Oh. He's got his ears <laughs> caught in a mechanical oh. rice picker. I see you've noticed the ears. They're yes. actually easy to explain. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I'm Chinese. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And and then he cocky cold cocks him with one punch. Yes. which in the future, yeah. all punches will cause somebody to yes. pass out. Of course. I just thought it was in the 60s that yeah. you just you punch a guy once and they go down. Gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. They used to punch a lot harder back then. Yeah, gl- a lot of glass jaws. Man yeah. were men. Anyway, this is why Spock puts on the beanie is he can't take that <laughs> crap anymore. So he just puts on, I got a beanie now. I got a dock worker's cap. Don't talk about my ears ever again. <laughs> this will fool everyone. Yeah. Don't and worry the about the, green, the greenish tint of my skin. Yeah, Spock know? is really quite pissed off in that episode too he's like i can't believe i'm doing this crap i got the i'm trying to do all this stuff on a tricorder with the like i'll need some platinum what do you mean you can't get platinum come on mm-hmm. yeah i also like when they let deforest kelly just really go off oh when yeah he, he, he's, he goes he's nuts here and he's screaming assassins he's all sweaty mm-hmm. killer oh, yeah. they, they spray he, all he, the... he looks like third season kirk actually yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's super sweaty <laughs> There's this this and the one where they get old and he gets particularly cantankerous. Oh I yeah, mean, yeah. He is he is very very funny in in the scenes where he's kind of allowed to really just go go wacky, and this is a great example of this. Such a such a great Bones is such a great character in general. I mean, in the Corbomite maneuver, which is his, you know, is that his? I think that's his first episode. There, there's that great moment where he says, you know, if this keeps going on like this, I'm gonna start talking to myself where he's alone in the room (laughs) it's like i love this guy this guy is great because he's so grumpy and you know and and for the 60s too the fact that there's this character who's so adversarial to the other characters and he's just always complaining disagreeing yeah it's a stupid idea why are we doing this green-blooded vulcan you know i never trusted the transporters all right bones you're not helping no (laughs) it's a kind of tough love that he dishes out though no, they they when they take him in in the Corbin maneuver when they take him to go over to Balok's ship, he's like the stupid gadget with its my atoms are gonna get sketching bones bones, get on the thing, okay, get on the thing, that's an order. Use it all the time. It's fine. 
though it does often malfunction. So and that that really is the only uh, <laughs> the only instance of Star Trek doing time travel competently. There are a couple other time travel episodes. There's the one where they accidentally end up in again present 60s, day, yeah, 1968. Yeah. Um, the slingshot effect. They, they sort right. of accidentally discover the slingshot effect, and then one season later, suddenly it's just de rigueur. Yeah, when, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's in uh, it's I guess horrendous. Operation Colon Earth or whatever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Assignment Colon Earth. Assignment Colon Earth. Yes. Yes. When when they're just on a routine time travel uh, observation. Like that episode ep- exists in the dangerous in between of like time travel is now easy and we can do it all the time, but there's no rules yet. Right. 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 You know, right. They don't. No, it's 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 done well in City on the Edge of Forever. It's, Bones jumps you know. through the Guardian of Forever and it's like, oh crap, the Enterprise is gone. Uh okay, I guess we need to do something here, right? And 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 yeah, it's really great. I mean, I have the original. I bought the original. Um, Harlan Ellison republished his original screenplay, and you know it's different. And he's because Harlan Ellison is a incredibly cranky guy. He's all bent yes. out of shape about the fact that it turns out DC Fontana did the rewrite of it, and which he didn't know for twenty years. In reality, what happened is that uh, he wrote a, a really great script that didn't fit the characters of the format, mm-hmm. and so Dorothy Fontana fixed it so that it would make sense. Well, DC Fontana is Dorothy, huh? Dorothy, yeah, yeah, yes. Did not know she is. She's a woman, uh, and in that era, she that's why she was DC disguised today. herself as DC Fontana. She, I did not know. you know. There was like a guy, one a crewman was like dealing drugs on the Enterprise and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. Have I told my my Harlan Ellison story? <laughs> no. Do you have one? Please I'm, do. I'm sorry. Um, and everybody's yes, please, got one. Please share. Uh, it. Yes. I went to see uh, Neil Gaiman talk um, at a thing at MIT, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, and it was him, Harlan Ellison, and Peter David, um, and I did not know who Harlan Ellison was, and he basically got up and apparently at that time. I think he was suing AOL so and some other him. ISPs for that were, you know, effectively assisting people in distributing, you know, like plain text copy pirated copies of his novels and he was very right. angry at anything related to technology which included students at MIT <laughs> and um, science <laughs> and science and electricity so he did a little bit of like, you know, talking about who he was and you know, in reading from stuff, but he did a lot of yelling at the audience and he threw a bottle i think it was a plastic bottle but he did definitely throw a bottle into the audience in rage at one point <laughs> uh, and then i felt bad afterwards because there was a huge long line uh to get signatures from uh from neil gaiman and from harlan ellison and then there was nobody who wanted to talk to peter david and buy his babylon 5 scripts that he was oh, really trying to sell oh. yeah but but i got neil gaiman's signature on you know, you know on a copy of sandman so that was good Harlan Ellison, my introduction to him, a guy who throws bottles at people. Yeah, he he is apparently such a he's a great writer. He really is uh, as a short he story is. writer. I have his, I I have most of his short story collections. He's a he's a fantastic writer. Um, he's just a very questionable human being. <laughs> I think there's a great documentary uh, about him, right? With sharp teeth, I think maybe. Yeah, something like and he's that. He's just an unrepentant jerk. Yeah, he is. He doesn't care, but. Um, and I guess we should say I, I think he's I think he's very old and infirm now and has retired yes. from writing and but I um, hope he lives forever but, but not but from being a horrible person but no yeah. but sitting on the edge of forever you know it, it it is great and I think one of the reasons it's great is because of his writing even though he complains about it being bastardized and all of that really that's mm-hmm. the issue of you know it does need to feel like a Star Trek episode and sure. so Dorothy Fontana did some stuff to it 
and I don't think she screwed it up that badly. It's still probably the best Star Trek episode that was made. So for Pete's sake. All right. So yay, Tony, you, you get that one. Good job. (laughs) Okay. Well played. Curse you. Uh, I got one more. That was my, I, I, so far I picked three from season one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'll jump to season two. I don't know how much we want to say about it, but, uh, the trouble with tribbles does resonate with me as as a classic. Well, that's the other widely kind of cheesy and ridiculous, but, but I love it. I even, I like the deep space nine episode where they, you know, they They go back into it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they stitch them together. I kind of like that episode better, but, um, yeah. You know, the, the, on like the Blu-rays, there's a whole disc devoted to the trouble with Tribbles where they have the original episode. They have the animated yeah. series episode. They've got the Deep Space Nine episode. They've got a commentary track. They've got all this stuff about it. I watched all of them. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tribbles, uh-huh. while not my favorite episode, contains my favorite moment, which is Kirk standing monologue. Oh, man. While a stagehand somewhere off screen throws puffballs at his Chuck, head. Chucks him at his head. They close that door off his head the whole for probably like two and a half minutes. He's standing there talking. So the beauty of the Deep Space Nine episode is that they the, is that Cisco and Dax end up he's in, the one doing it in yeah. the compartment and they're scanning triples to find the bomb that's been hidden. And as they scan them, when they're done, they chuck them behind just over their shoulder, which is what is hitting Kirk with the it's it's great. So it's like who who was why were those triples coming out and hitting Kirk in the head? It turns out it's our other characters who are doing because they it. don't have bombs in them. Because yeah, they, yeah, so they're, but it's so great because somebody's like, all right, I'm going to throw all these puff balls at Shatner's head. That's it's hilarious I'm... because long oh. after the bulk of the tribbles have fallen out and gravity would have necessarily <laughs> yeah. pushed them out at high speeds, no. other ones are flying out at no. the completely wrong vector yeah. towards the side of his head. Yeah. And, and he's got kind of this sort of grin on his face the whole time. Yeah. Like, he's just trying to get through the scene. Yeah, well, and it gets it's to that moment where he's moment. like, I got two things. First off, you know, go get the Klingons. And two, somebody close that door, right? It's like, why? It's it's so, I mean, because that's an episode that that is, I love it when series that, that take themselves maybe too seriously do an episode that is an out-and-out out comedy episode. And The Trouble with Tribbles, you know, is one of the few Star Trek episodes that is is just completely a comedy. It's not, you know, a chuckle-at-the-end moment. It is broad and ridiculous from the very beginning and and it's funny throughout and it's like um the darren morgan episodes of the x-files are like that where where there are a few episodes of the x-files which was very serious and david duchovny is oh there are mm-hmm. ufos and blah blah and then there are these episodes where you're like oh this is crazy they're just they're just trying to for laughs here and that i i'm a sucker for that because i love i love it when a show doesn't take itself so seriously that it can't say we're just going to do a completely just we're, we're it's about the jokes folks mm-hmm. and the trouble with tribbles is about the jokes that's all it's about best i can figure they're born pregnant which is quite a time saver great great episode tony wins yay <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i mean sit, city on the edge of forever and trouble with tribbles are always what people mention yeah. but you know there's yeah. good reason they're funny uh, one's mm-hmm. funny and one's really tragic and dramatic and has great time travel in it i mean i those if you're gonna pick two those are probably the two right mm-hmm. yeah true and if you're tony sum up Star Trek. they are and the if two. you're tony they are the two yeah there you go <sighs> oh, um tony I did not put any episodes from season three on my list. No. Um, I mean, there are some that are okay. Yeah. Um, brains, brains. Brain and brain. What is brain? I don't know. I, I always thought 
the Tholian web was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, that stuck with me as a kid. I love the that Tholian stuck web. with me as a kid. Also, was the web. Um, they're they're mysterious. Those aliens and they've got the weird spaceship and Kirk is yeah. like a ghost and and I wasn't sure yeah. if it totally made sense because like nah. the web looks really two dimensional when they're doing it yeah. and they're limited special effects and it's like is there a top and a bottom of this web? Can't they just go over it? Um, but. But I thought, I mean, that that had some neat ideas into it, especially considering they were they were getting their budget destroyed at that point. Um, so, uh, should I mention some of the bad episodes? Yes, why don't you? Oh, I did, oh, I did not care for. Oh, have please. we? Have we? You just mentioned season three, so <laughs> season three. Yeah. Um, in fact, <laughs> all the ones on my list are from season three. Oh. Um, there are other bad ones, but I mean, and I, I should say, rewatching some of these, there were. There were episodes I struggled to stay awake. Yeah, they're, they're bad the ones throughout, but yeah, and I I can't even remember those specifically. But... I feel like they aren't worse in season three, but the the good ones yeah. that save you that are the lifesavers aren't there in season three. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, Spock's brain is I, I don't know if, oh. how much we need to say about it, is, but it's painful. Brain and brain, what is brain? You know, Spock's brain doesn't. It's stupid. But yeah. it doesn't bother me like some other episodes do because it's just it's it's dumb. I love the moment where where McCoy says a child could do it, right? Like he's like, of course, brain transplant. That's easy, <laughs> right? And then he fixes. I love that moment. So I don't know. I mean, Spock's brain is always talked about as the worst Star Trek episode, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't really. Think it, I don't think it yes. is. It's just wow. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But I it's don't at think least it, entertaining. And brain is brain. What is brain? You know, it, it has some of the worst acting in it. Yeah, also. but the, it but is pretty it, bad act from an acting yeah. perspective. I, don't know, I guess I just think it's funny. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's supposed it's, to be it's, funny it's, it's, Yeah, I mean, it's weak. I, I will say when I was re-watching them and we got up to that, I, I we had been doing pretty steady, you know, a couple of weeks, and we got up to that, and I was like, I, it's going to be a little while before I'm ready to watch that one. Let's take a break and, and watch some other stuff for a little while. But then we, <laughs> we did it. We got through it. Um, the Unfortunately, I think not too far after that, uh, The Empath oh, um, man. always sticks with me. And there's there's some interesting no. stuff in there, but it basically sticks with me as like the episode that we want to make an episode without actually building any sets. Yeah, and it it, it could be kind of interesting, but it's not. It's it all takes place like it looks like they're just filming it on like a, a black stage with occasional props that they drop in, but there, there's it, there's not an actual setting for it, and it could have been done in some kind of atmospheric way, but it just kind of comes off as as cheap, unfortunately. You know. I- I'm so happy you mentioned that because because when people talk about the worst episodes and they talk about Spock's brain, I'm always sitting there thinking the empath. Which, the empath is right. Not it's like a no sets, and it's like, hey, we have there's this there's this lady who's a mime, yeah, and we could do an episode <laughs> with her. It's Perfect. great. Oh yeah, that'll be really good, guys. Oh, we need oh, to pad 15 minutes. Let's oh, do it. Oh no, don't do it. Oh. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I haven't seen worst. that episode yet. You guys have just really spoiled it for me. Oh, okay, sorry. You got to get the horn out. I think early. you're right about where I got. <laughs> Good up luck, to, Steve. So. Good luck with the. It's you know you're in season three. It's hard sledding. That's just how it is. There are some good episodes. This thing right is, at the end. is only just short of fifty years old. You guys still need to do the spoiler horn. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah the empath. She's. Uh, I guess we should have warned people. If copyright is still active, to. the spoiler horn should yeah, be active. The as empath. Well. She's an empath. Uh oh. But not like Deanna Troy at all. Because she's a mime. Okay. Yep, that's a great one. I'm glad you mentioned it, Tony. Uh, I will also mention, and uh, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. I just think that's way too long oh. a name for an episode. Oh, I love, I love, you know, in the, in the depths of especially Next Generation where they had episodes that were just like nouns. 
you know the the power you you, you want like a little poetry like a a short story i i really started to miss the fact that they would take these quotes from shakespeare and make them episode titles like for Mm -hmm. the and for the the world is hollow and i have touched the sky i mean that's actually kind of a cool episode because like mccoy when you start it they mccoy thinks he has a terminal illness and Mm -hmm. he's just given up on life and he's going to go live in this hollow asteroid with this (laughs) with these people and he's really not a good doctor it's such a bizarre episode (laughs) that i kind of love it because it's so weird and it feels like like you know they could have written out McCoy in that episode they literally could have just been like well goodbye McCoy and then he's never on the show again you know it's like i'm struck with a rare incurable space illness if if only i, I had the skills to to dedicate my life to curing it if i was some kind of healer or doctor i could, I could, I could <laughs> i'm a doctor not a doctor all day but no right to the to the asteroid let's go yeah yeah, and then it was. It does feel on one level that it's the hey McCoy needs an episode. Throw him a yeah. bone. Give him a girlfriend for one episode. Okay, all right. It's like that episode where Captain Kirk is is with the Native American tribe, uh-huh. except uh-huh. in a hollow asteroid. Oh man, yeah, not a good episode either. But yeah, but I love those. But the titles, because really, Next Generation especially, they just the titles got so boring for a while that I really missed the. The, you know, take five or six words from a, a Shakespeare play and make mm-hmm. it your title. Just, you know, I want those long titles that where they have to rap and have it be on several lines. <laughs> Give me that. Well, that's that's the long one. I Give think, me that. So. No more noun titles. Just crazy titles. Like, for the you're right. It, it is a little extreme. It's like a, yeah, yeah. for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. That's like a, a Harlan Ellison short story title. Yes. It's ridiculously long. Yeah. So I'm about halfway through rewatching se- the third season I think the only episode that I'm kind of looking forward to that I remember strongly in the in the the, the last chunk there is uh, let that be your battle your last battlefield sticks with me is is like somewhat of a classic episode if I'm remembering it correctly but I have not actually rewatched it yet so yes well I do like that episode good luck with that one <laughs> I've got ten episodes to go and then the goal is to to watch that the one's a little heavy-handed a little bit is it that you know the late season three episode that sticks out for me and i actually watched it today um is all or yesterdays which i like Mm -hmm. it's 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 pretty good it's not great but it's pretty good and when i say that season three was bad the fact that the next to last episode was actually pretty good um you know there's some good stuff in there that's that's the one with marriott hartley and they go to the ice age and spock gets all old old school vulcan and Mm -hmm. and cranky and uh, Kirk is a witch in the Salem witch trials for some reason. And, but I like that episode. That's Mr. Atos. He's the, it's the world's meanest, most passive aggressive librarian. And there's some good stuff in there. All right. Is that it, Tony? That's, uh, that's it for me. All right. Uh, so we let you guys go first because Scott and I presumably have lists that are so long. Sorry, folks. We're out of time. That Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that we'd let you go first because you'd say things that we were going to say anyway. And that makes us shut up. So. I've just been checking off ones that have already Me too. Because there's no need to. I find that highly unlikely. So with Steve and Tony's pick safely out of the way, surely there's nothing more for Scott and I to say. And that's why you can stay tuned for our next episode where Scott and I talk about Star Trek for another hour. Until then, this is Jason Snell for Scott McNulty, Steve Lutz, and Tony Sindelar. Thanks for listening to The Incomparable. Podcasting, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the podcasting comparable. It's continuing mission to explore strange new books. 
to seek out new films and new television shows to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Okay, this podcast is over. (laughs) 